I'll be inside in a minute. I'm gonna say hey to Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mike. Flower beds are looking good, neighbor. Yep. You guys should get back from church? Ah. Yeah, yeah, just been at the church house. I wonder why he never invites me to church. I mean, I'd go if he asked me to go. But this is the way it is. I'm out in my front yard when he comes home from church. It's always so awkward. It's so awkward. And I'm so hungry. Ugh. I think my wife made goulash. I love goulash. Oh, maybe Joe would like some goulash for lunch. Hey, Joe. Here comes the invitation to church. Yeah? You wanna come over sure, for a Sure, I'd goulash? love to go to church with you. What'd you just say? What'd you just say? No, what? No, what'd you say? What'd no, you what say? what'd you say? You said something about God. God, God. Goo. 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 Goulash. Goulash? Goulash. It's a... You're having goulash at your church? No. No, at my house. You're having... You're inviting me over for goulash? Yeah. At your... Goulash? Yeah, who doesn't like goulash? I'd like some goulash. Yeah, sign me up. Goulash! I'll check and make sure we have enough. I see you walking away. Awkward. It's so awkward to invite somebody to church. Raise your hand and say amen if you agree. It's awkward. Nobody wants to raise their hand. Nobody's going to be honest this morning. Oh my goodness. Tim, amen and amen. I'm right there with you. It's not as awkward as you would think. It is not. So what we've been doing during this series, and this is the fifth and final week of our Go to Grow series, and that doesn't mean that we are stopping going and growing. It means that we are starting. It means that we are, are taking the tools that we've been talking through these past few weeks and putting them into action. And this last week, we've been asking the question all along. This last week, we're asking, what are we doing here? And one of the reasons that we are here is to be a part of what God is doing in the South Naperville area. And that is sharing the good news of Jesus with people who don't have that good news and don't have a relationship with God. We've literally been talking about the idea of following Jesus into becoming fishers of people. So we've been talking about inviting people of peace, people who not only like us and want to be around us, but people who would be open and receptive to sharing our life in Jesus. We've been talking about inviting them into conversations about faith. We've been talking about inviting them to small group, which is starting when? The first week of October, right, in our Red Letter Challenge, right? And we've been talking about inviting people to serve with us. So we take on a serving role here at South Naperville and invite someone to come along with us and see what that's like. And today we're talking about the idea of inviting people classically to church, inviting people to this environment, the worship gathering. And that's a function of us following Jesus as fishers of people. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people. What was he talking about? He was talking about the creation of an environment, the creation of circumstances within which people who don't have a relationship with God would be uh, exposed to the things of God, the love of God, 
and then have the opportunity to follow him, just like you and I did when we first came into the faith. Think about the time that you first came into the faith. How did you come in? You didn't dive in with you know, both feet off the, the sand into the water. You tippy-toed in, and you grew in faith. You grew bits and pieces at a time in the faith, and that's how it works. We've also been talking throughout this series about the opportunity we have to grow into a new worship space. There's a church leaving this worship space in the next two years, and we have the opportunity to potentially lease that space. God has called us through all the circumstances around us. God has called us to grow to about 120 people, including kids and adults and tweens and teens between now and about a year from now. And then as God grows us to that number between now and a year from now, we have the opportunity to realistically look at a lease on this new worship space, which happens by the grace of God to be right across the hall from the Trinity's early childhood center. Now, as V shared with you earlier, the early childhood center next week is going to have some of its families come and join us here in worship for the express purpose of some of those kids singing a worship song that we do in chapel on Thursday mornings. It's a huge outreach opportunity. It's the first time any of our early childhood families have been invited to come and worship with us in a way that uh, features their kids singing and worshiping and, and raising up God's name. Right now, we have about three or four families from the tech who are registered to come and worship with us next weekend. Now, what does that mean? That means that we have the opportunity to see a snapshot of what it looks like when all this inviting pays off. When all this inviting actually works and new people are coming, we have the opportunity to create an atmosphere. So that's going to be our kind of our central focus for today. And when we ask the question, what is the mountain standing between us and the invitation to church? The mountain that Jesus says, even if with the littlest faith, you can see that mountain there, that mountain can be thrown into the sea. We take that as encouragement that whatever stands between us and a real authentic faith in Jesus, God has already overcome that mountain, that obstacle. And he calls us in faith to take that mountain and throw it into the sea, to be done with it so that we can freely in faith and without fear extend an invitation to someone who needs a relationship with God. And in particular today, as we said, we're talking about inviting to worship. So that's the question of the day. What is the mountain between you and your invitation to someone to join you at the worship gathering? Whatever that might be, it might be fear of rejection. It might be fear of awkwardness. It might be fear of goulash, for all we know. It might be fear of just extending an invitation to someone who's already in your life and not knowing what they're going to say. So today we're going to focus again on the scripture and how God would speak into the invitation to worship. First of all, before we do that, let's take a look at why we worship and why we organize worship the way we do. And then I'm going to make a couple of propositions to you. Uh, that hopefully will equip you to go out and make some real invitations. The scripture talks openly about the organization of worship in 1 Corinthians 14. I love this passage because what it deals with is two very interesting subjects. One, speaking in tongues, and two, prophecy. Now, throw your hand up if you've ever spoken in tongues before. 
Okay, we got one. One honest person in the back. Oh, two, three. Okay. So, uh, so what I didn't see is people who are bilingual or trilingual raising their hands. Because the subject of speaking in tongues in church is often misunderstood. In this passage in particular, speaking in tongues has to do with speaking a foreign language in an atmosphere, in a setting or a group meeting like this, where people might not understand what is spoken. For example, those of us who speak Spanish fluently in the room, if you came up to me and spoke to me in Spanish, I might be able to hear about 5 or 10% of the words you were saying based on the two years of Spanish I had back in high school 4,000 years ago. It would be counterproductive for us to try to have a conversation in a foreign language when I didn't know the language. So what was happening back then in that church, the Corinthian church, is that you had people speaking in different foreign languages, trying to encourage each other in the faith, but people were not understanding the truth of God that was being shared because it was being shared in a foreign language. Nothing wrong with it. But what Paul's case is to the church back then is that you create an atmosphere where foreign languages or languages that are different for the setting of the day need to be interpreted to be meaningful. And that's reasonable, right? So he says, instead of focusing on, on, on showing foreign language skill and trying to translate different languages in a worship setting, instead focus on truth, sharing truth through prophecy. Now, prophecy is taking any truth that's been given to us by God and it's sharing it with each other in a public forum like this. That's really all that means. So I'm going to step out of the way and read some scripture for you. In 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Paul is writing to the church and says, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regards to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. I love that we have babies in the room. Babies remind us of how we are supposed to approach the stuff of evil. The stuff of evil is supposed to be something that is so foreign to us, so far away from us, that we don't even know how to approach it. The Bible goes on and says, but in your thinking, be adults. In other words, be grown up about the reasons why you come to worship. And I would even say the reasons why you would invite somebody to come with you to worship. In the law, it is written, Paul says, with other tongues or languages through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. And the generation around us that is listening to the things of God, whether it's through podcast or coming to church or watching a TV show, by and large, the culture is taking a very tentative view of Christianity these days, wouldn't you say? But what we can do is we can understand a little bit more of what Paul was trying to teach the church. We'll go on in this next paragraph when he says tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. What he's talking about is the idea that when the word of God permeates different cultures and people speaking different languages share that, that's a good thing. It's a sign to the unbelieving population that the word of God is meant for who? Everyone. Where? All over the world. Spanish speaking, Russian speaking, who, whatever language you speak, the word of God is meant for you, right? So that that's an outreach aspect. But then he says this prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for who? Believers. 
Prophecy is the stuff of God, the things of God, the truth of God that is shared by God's Holy Spirit and His power in the church, in the setting of us gathering together and sharing that truth together. And Paul goes on and says, So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers, that is seekers or unbelievers, come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? So what I want to make a case for today is that tongues are not a language you cannot understand. Tongues, by meaning of Scripture, are foreign languages that we can understand. But the idea is that those foreign languages are meant to be shared in a proper context. Now, I've heard foreign languages. I've heard someone speak in tongues before in a way that I could understand. An old, old, old pastor years and years ago when I first became a Christian got up and read a passage in Spanish, and it was beautiful, brought tears to my eyes the way he read it. But then he turned right around and he read the same passage in English. So that way I could understand it. And then I remembered some of the Spanish words that coincided with the English words, and it helped my faith to grow as he read those words. But the idea becomes this. When we get together, we create an atmosphere. We create a situation that is good for people to come into when they don't know God. We create an atmosphere, an environment that is good for people who don't know God so that they come in and they feel welcome. The idea becomes this. Back to Paul. Paul says if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all. Not that everyone is waving fingers at them and saying, you sinner, you bad person. But just the atmosphere of God's love and truth in the room. The atmosphere of God's love and truth in the room leads someone to become convicted of their sin and the relationship they don't have with God as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, the scripture says. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, Here at South Naperville, we don't expect first-time guests to come in and fall down, face down on the ground and say, God is really here among you. If they do, we can look back at this moment and have a chuckle together, right? We don't expect people to act that way, but we do expect that the same dynamic that happened in the church back then, 2,000 years ago, is expected and sought after in the worship service here today. In other words, this, all this to say down to this point, when you come here, I expect that you are able to connect with God. I expect that. That is not icing on the cake of performance, of worship songs, sermons, music being played, videos, kids programs being run. It's not the exception for you to connect with God. It is the base expectation When you come here, you should be able to connect with God. And that's from the moment you come in the door to the moment you grab your donuts to the moment you sit down and listen to the moment you stand and sing to the moment you exit the building. You should be able to connect with God in an authentic and realistic way. It's the idea of atmosphere, the creation of atmosphere. You know, back in the first century church's day, when they were first meeting, the church, if you didn't know this from history, the Christian church was an outlaw church for the first 300 years around and in the Roman Empire. 
If you caught Christians worshiping, you could persecute them, which means you could hurt them. You could throw them in jail. You could treat them unfairly. And in the year 300, somewhere around the year 300 and thereafter, uh, the Roman emperor became a Christian and adopted uh, Christianity as the state religion. But until then, Christians had to worship in hiding. What you're seeing on the screen is a picture of catacombs under the city of Rome. These still exist today. Now, what are catacombs? Catacombs are places where you bury who? You bury dead people. Now, you guys are thinking too hard. It could be kings. It could be Christians. And in fact, there are kings and Christians buried there. But you bury people under the ground, right? And in Rome, they would bury these people in these catacombs. And so the underground area there were places of the dead. This is where the first century church worshipped. Now, think about the kind of atmosphere those people worshipped in. What would it smell like down there? It might not smell too good, right? What would it look like down there? If you're worshiping down there, you'd be surrounded by what? Dead bodies. You'd be surrounded by decomp. Now imagine the atmosphere of meeting for worship secretly underground amongst a bunch of dead bodies on Sunday. It might be a little more challenging than meeting in a public school like this, right? That's where the first century church met. But could you say that even though the atmosphere for new people wasn't created and laid out for them, that those people encountered God in that place? In fact, because they were surrounded by so much death, maybe it even helped them to see God face to face through his word, to follow Jesus, to encounter him because of the persecution they endured. In these days and times, it's a little bit different. We're not surrounded by dead bodies. We don't have to meet in hiding in catacombs. We still have the opportunity, even though we create the atmosphere that we want to create with the opportunity here to worship, even though we create that, we have the opportunity to think about what it would be like for a first-time guest to join us. And what would this experience be like for that person? So what we've been doing as we've been stepping back and taking a look at South Naperville and what we do really well and what we do really good at, one of the things we do really, uh, really well with is our kids' ministry. In fact, I would say this publicly and for the record, our kids' ministry is the number one front-facing way that we interact with the public in South Naperville. We do that through Trinity's Early Childhood Center, and we do that through programming Kids Street, which is Sunday school programming for children in elementary ages and below on Sunday mornings. You guys have seen, as an example, over the last few weeks, we've been recruiting for lead teachers in Kids Street. And praise be to God, as of today, we have all eight of our Kids Street lead teachers in place. Thank you, God. God is good. Now, we're still looking for baby holders. So if you want to hold babies on Sunday morning, one month or, or one week out of the month, come and talk to me. It's a tough job, but I promise you're going to love it. But the reason we've been doing this is because Kid Street is kind of our number one most important outreach ministry. When we share faith in Jesus and invite people to the worship gathering, what we're doing is we're telling them that their kids, along with them, are going to be welcome here. And when our greeters stand out front, 
one of the first jobs they have is to escort new families with children right to Kid Street and help people learn how to check their kids into Kid Street so that their kids are welcome. When your kids are welcome, your family is welcome. And since we at South Naperville major in kids' ministry, it's one of our, our biggest ministry outreaches, right? Since we do that, we want to continue to do that well. So what we're doing is we are looking at upgrading, updating the way we do Kid Street ministry and working with our own children right here at South Naperville. What I want to do today is propose some updates for you on how we work with our own kids in the building in and around Kid Street. And I want to ask you to do this with an open mind. Consider what the atmosphere would be like for a whole bunch of new first-time guests coming into the building and experiencing kids' ministry and adult ministry for the first time. And what I suggest we do is as we look at adopting these updates and look at stepping into some of these updates for the future, that we consider the atmosphere of the first-time guest. Here's what I'm going to propose, and I'm going to lay them out one at a time, all right? Here's the first one. When our children are with us, before Kid Street, we keep them with us even when we're serving. So when we're setting up or tearing down, or when we're rehearsing for a praise team, or when we're getting ready to go work on Kid Street, or we're greeting out front, or any of the new jobs that we'll create as we grow, we actually have our children with us watching what we do, listening to the words we speak, and following us in what we are practicing and serving. We're actually giving our kids the opportunity to watch us in action, and we're keeping them with us at the same time. Here's the next thing. We're checking our kids into Kid Street beginning at 945 and helping them put on their name tag. The idea is this. We've been small and very family-like up until about this time. We've been accustomed to letting our kids check themselves into Kid Street. But let me ask you a question. If we double and triple in size in the next year, will we be able to continue that practice? No. Kid Street would be utter chaos, wouldn't it? And a first-time guest would come into that environment or that atmosphere and be absolutely perplexed, even just like the scripture said, thinking that we'd lost our minds, right? So what we're proposing is the idea that we keep our kids with us, that they stay with us through the experience of Sunday morning, and then we actually take them out to Kid Street and check them in ourselves, and we help them get their name tags on and stay in Kid Street. Here's the next one. When we come back to the worship space, and this is the number one environment for adults, right? Though kids are welcome, this environment is for, mainly set up for adults. When we come back here, be sure and reserve a spot for your kids who will return from Kid Street about 1045. In fact, they'll be back here in a couple of minutes. Pick out a spot for your kids. That way, when you put something on the chair and reserve that spot for the kids, they know that when they come back, there's going to be a place for them to finish out the worship service with you. Very important. And then here's where it, it really gets to be an update for us. Have our children sit with us when they enter the worship space after the message. Have them sit with you. Have them watch what you do. When you get up for communion and go forward for communion, have them watch what you do. When you offer prayers, have them with you to watch what you do. In other words, have them stay right with you during the worship service so that they can observe you grow and that you can teach them the faith 
and they can be under your supervision. Now, why is this important? Because as we grow, as we get bigger, this space is going to fill up, isn't it? Imagine when the kids come back in in a few minutes, imagine that group doubled and tripled in size in this space. I'm very excited about that. I think that's going to be just amazing. In order to make that happen and make that work, let's start having our kids stay right with us through the service. And then lastly, this, after worship, have your child stay with you as you serve or connect with others. So we're going to have our kids stay with us and listen to the conversations we have. Now, I'll admit, my kids in particular have, as for the first two years, been comfortable in the building, running around the building and having fun with their friends after the worship service. For the first two years, that worked out well until we started to do what? Until we started to numerically grow. And then the number of kids that were running the halls got bigger, right? And then kids started to get hurt. And then stuff started to get broken, And so as we get bigger, we're moving away from the intimate family setting that we've created in the beginning, and we're creating a structure for success, for success of our own kids and the kids of first-time guests who will come with us. Now, this may take some time for us to transition into this motif together. For my own kids, it's going to take a transition time. So what I did is I prompted them before they came to worship this morning. We are going to be updating and getting ready to grow. So when we get done today, I'm going to need you guys to stay with me, help me to greet people, help me to tear down, watch what I do, and be my assistant. Now, as an alternative to this, we're exploring the idea of having a kid's activity right after the worship service up on the stage. We don't know what that looks like yet, but we're exploring the idea of having a kid's activity up on stage so that when parents are out here connecting, they can concentrate on those conversations for 10 or 15 minutes and then go up and grab their kids and head on out the door. You see what we're doing? We're setting up a structure so that the kids can be successful with us, and at the same time, we can continue to grow and connect with each other the way we have been. Now, imagine if all that is in place and all that is working well, and I'm imagining that and looking forward to that. Imagine that structure's in place and working well. How do we move into entertaining listening, and inviting people with children in particular. Think about playdates you go on. Think about parties you go to. Think about atmospheres where there are other children and other families around. And think about how you might listen, particularly for a handful of cues that can tell you it might be a great opportunity to invite someone. If you're talking with someone, particularly with children, Listen for the idea that that family is not engaged in any kind of faith-based activity outside of their conversation with you. What if they don't have a church home or a small group? What if they were raised in a particular denomination but don't have a place to worship now? Is that a cue to potentially invite them to come to worship with you? Yes. If they have children, is it particularly important that we have an atmosphere that is welcoming and orderly for their children as well as for them. Yeah, it's totally important for that, isn't it, right? You can also listen for these cues. Listen to them being open to trying new things, even if they were raised a particular way. Maybe they were raised Catholic or Presbyterian or Baptist. Maybe they would be open to the idea of coming with you to this. If they ask you what the denominational base is at Trinity South Naperville, what are we? 
we are Lutheran. So our theology is Lutheran. And you can share that with them. You can tell them that. And if they have questions, have them come and see me. We can talk that through. The idea is we worship and follow Jesus Christ. Can we start with that? Yes, we can, always and forever. And then particularly take a listen for this. Listen for if they've got kids' activities that they do on Sunday mornings. But maybe those kids' activities aren't something they do every Sunday. When they get a Sunday off, you can invite them to worship. And here are the words you might use. When we're looking at taking an invitational opportunity and putting that together for someone who's brand new, particularly to the worship service, try these words with me if they have kids. Ready? One, two, three. The kids might like to try Kid Street, which is kind of like Sunday school, just way cooler. Would you guys go with us one Sunday? And when you get to way cooler, feel free to put your own style of emphasis on that, okay? Way cooler. But what if you're talking to somebody who doesn't have kids? Or what if you don't have kids with you or don't have kids yourself and you're talking to singles or couples and there are no children involved? Try this one. One, two, three. Worshiping on Sunday mornings is really important to me. Would you come with me one day and let me show you why? Why is worship important to you? The idea would be and the assumption would be that when you get here, who do you connect with? Yeah, we connect with each other, but who do we connect with? With God. Give them the opportunity to come and experience how you connect with God. Give them the opportunity to experience that with you. And God will give you these words to speak in the moment. So let's remember these invitations. Let's remember how they work and how God has set us up to grow right here in the worship service. Agreed? Amen? Amen. Great. Let's pray and then we'll invite the kids to come and join us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to step back and Look at what we're doing and ask the question, why are we here? And then as you respond and as you give us challenges, thank you for the opportunity to grow and meet them and step up to them. God, as we grow and as we update, help us to show our kids what it is we do. Help us to share that life with them, starting with our family and on out from us. And help us, God, in the moment when the opportunity is right to remember that you will open the doors for people to come and worship with us. We don't have to force that. That's something that you lay the groundwork for through the Holy Spirit. So do that groundwork for us, God. Go before us. Lay those invitations open. Help us to see them before they happen. And then to open our mouths and speak. In your name we pray. And together we say amen and amen.